Hi, everybody. As a holiday gift from me to you, I'm releasing this preview of the Best Little Horror House in Philly Patreon. As I mentioned frequently at the end of episodes, the Patreon is a place where returning guests and I can talk about things that don't necessarily fit the criteria of best horror movie ever made. Sometimes that's movies that are more interesting than great. Sometimes it's ranking stuff like our favorite Treehouse of Horror segments or best animated horror shorts. But also, in cases like today's Last of Us Part 2, sometimes we talk about alternative media like video games. They also tend to be a little looser. I did call this a preview, and that's what it is, because the raw audio for the full version of this episode is another 80 minutes, talking about the plot and themes of the game on a more beat-by-beat level, then summing up what makes the game so interesting. So if you enjoy it, consider signing up. There's a lot more of not just this episode, but the bonus episodes I described, extra commentaries, early access to normal episodes, and you can support the show for my active decision to not be forcing annoying ads upon you this whole time. So that's it. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. I'm George, and welcome to another Spotlight episode of Blah Hip. Uh, We're back with returning guest Kevin Bartelt from the Flagrant Family. What's up, bud? Hey, man. How's it going? Thanks for having me back. Very, very excited to have you here. We're talking about not just another video game episode, which is exciting enough on its own, But we're talking about a game I already loved going into this. It's The Last of Us Part 2. I'm curious to hear about if you just generally play a lot of video games, how much of that is horror games, and specifically Naughty Dog. I mean, uh, I'm curious if this was something that you came to and were like, oh, wow, this company is great, or if you've been playing their games for a while. I just need to let the listener know before I answer this layup of a question which i appreciate (laughs) i'm so excited and chill for this recording i'm going from standing desk to sitting desk wow that's how i know i'm gonna get comfortable although i noticed (laughs) i went from sitting position directly into the sunlight so i'm gonna move a little bit (laughs) but that's how excited i am to be here i'm like oh i got i'm getting comfortable time to kick back i love video games i've had a on and off experience with them but have been pretty much on for the last six years Basically, I played a lot as a kid, like Nintendo 64, GameCube, PlayStation, Xbox was kind of my like 1998 to 2010, I would say, maybe 98 to 08, something along that line. My junior year in high school, I had a come to Jesus moment where I went, wait, I should I should totally stop playing video games. Like, that's not, I shouldn't do that. That's like nerd shit. I'm cool. And I was in the marching band, by the way. I don't know why I was in this type of denial with myself. So then I go to college, don't really play video games, move to LA. My first or second year in LA, all of my friends are playing video games. And I'm like, yeah, why am I acting like this isn't me? The one that I think got me back in was Breath of the Wild, which I'm sure got a lot of people back into video games. So I bought a, no, I think I used a Nintendo Wii U, which is so corny and cringy. (laughs) I think I had it on the Wii U, ugh. But I loved Breath of the Wild. Wait, can you have Breath of the Wild on the Wii U? Is that possible? Yeah, it was was cross-platform. It was like one of the first Switch games, so. Wow. Yeah. No way, I, I had to get a Switch. I don't know. I honestly, I don't remember, but I got Breath of the Wild and I got really into that and was like, I think I might be back. There was one moment, though, where I specifically was like, "Okay, I am I'm back with the capital B. I went to my friend Harry's place, who at the time lived in New York City, 
and now is in LA and now is doing this massive video project with me. He's the star of it. And I stayed at his place and he was in a basement like in Brooklyn and he didn't have a TV, but he did have a projector on his wall and we smoked pot and he said, do you want to play God of War? And I was like, oh yeah, I, I kind of remember playing those in junior high. Specifically, I remember pausing whenever my dad's friend came in because there were so many like sex scenes and he <laughs> caught on and went, how come every time I walk in, you pause the game? <laughs> And I was like, I, I don't know, Mr. Ryan. I think I just like, I get so tired with these games. And he was like, <laughs> okay. But we played the 2018 God of War on his projector stoned. And I was like, I think I went home and bought a PlayStation like the next week, a PS4. Yeah, that one will do it. That game is so gorgeous and like, yes. so immersive. Yeah. And I've been loving Ragnarok too. I beat Ragnarok. So that got me back in. So I went home the next week, bought a PS4. Bought that, bought Amazing Spider-Man, I loved. And then my intake of video games, I felt mentally like I was like, I have to make up for the last <laughs> eight years that, I, that I've that i missed. Mm -hmm. So I was doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was playing a lot. I have my, I should just turn on and go through my library. But yeah, so I, I, was, I was playing a lot. And then I just, I think even like in the last three years as well, befriending your friend of, of your show, Matt Apodaca, who is the co-host of Get Played, an incredible video game podcast. That was getting me back into video games. A few of friends getting me back into video games. Really to, and I'm sorry, I'm talking way too long. No, no. What really did it for me with God of War and has been, and was why I picked uh, this game for today, was the storytelling. I was so captivated by what was happening with Kratos and Atreus that I was like, I got goosebumps. I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it. I was just so thrilled at what was happening and it was, an, it was emotional. And I had never had a, an experience like that before playing a video game. And so once I was seeing like, oh, you can... These are like movies, basically. You're like playing a movie now. Yeah. So that became a thing that I kind of really looked for when purchasing purchasing a video game was like, is the story good? Yeah. Because I will crush a game that has a great story. Yeah. Apologies for the listeners that <laughs> I see I'm at minute seven right now. That was <laughs> crazy. No, no. I asked for the backstory and I got it. <laughs> and, and you got it, man. I love that. I think that you're absolutely spot on in terms of the increased budget for video games and and getting like really great voice actors totally and and making it so that you can fully immerse into that cinematic story mm -hmm. is something that has only been able to happen really because because of the graphics and everything i mean like look i i love a lot of like pixel games i love a lot of old yeah. school stuff but it's just it's just harder to <laughs> like put yourself in those games especially going back to them you know, mm -hmm. I remember at the time you're like, "This is the best video games will ever look." I oh, can't absolutely. believe <laughs> that first Super Smash game. I was like, "This is it." I was telling my girlfriend Leah about, you know, for Halloween was like, and we we talked about. I hope I'm not repeating myself, but we talked maybe about this when I did your show last about like horror movies and stuff, and jump scares really scare me. And Leah right. and Leah said, "Where did that come from?" And I said, oh, God, I was eight years old and I played this video game that had a, had a jump scare and it really messed me up. And she said, what was it? We have to watch it right now. 
I said, oh God, it's, it's called Banjo-Kazooie. There's, the, <laughs> there's this witch that kind of like appears. Also, I and I, I also said Mario 64, like when Bowser's like, ho, 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 came on oh, the screen. Yeah. <laughs> that I think is a little more fair. I showed her, I'll send it to you. This clip of the witch and Banjo-Kazooie. Grunty. Yes, it's way more funny than it is scary, but I was seven and I was like, I got that game for my birthday. I played it that day. I put it back in the N64 box and handed it back to my mom and wow. said, you need to put this in the closet. <laughs> you need to get you. I'm not ready. I literally said, I'm not ready for this. Yeah, this is should be rated M for mature. <laughs> yeah, not B for babies. Right. So I was horrified by that. So to your point, it's funny seeing the like the stuff that scared me as a kid. I'm like, how did this? This is <laughs> this is four bits. Yeah, <laughs> the childlike imagination does a lot of work. Yeah, but that cinematic aspect has always been what's appealed to me about Naughty Dog in particular. Absolutely, Uncharted Two is probably one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah, uh, it's like that and Tetris. <laughs> I like go back and forth on. So I bought the the first three were in a bundle. Maybe the right. first four. Did you see that? It was like last year. It was like you could get three of them for 20 bucks or something. Yeah, a bargain. So I got them and I played. I think I got like halfway through the first one. And everyone told me on Twitch, like, just go to the second one, go to the second one. And I was like, <laughs> I want to see the whole story. But then I was like, I should have listened to people because then I got halfway <laughs> through and was like, ah, I think I'm going to switch to something else. And then I never went back to it. But I do know that like it's an incredible franchise and yeah. four is really good, too. Right. Like, isn't that four the one really that was good. kind of the breakthrough or the, was they all were? I mean, I, I really except for one. I actually do agree that one oh. is by far the worst <laughs> one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was enjoying it. It, it was it was kind of fun. I was watching old God of War footage last night of like God of War 3. And it is mm. funny seeing like the graphics and stuff, but so maybe I should just jump to Uncharted 2. I still have it on, yeah. on my console. I would say watch like watch the cutscenes of 1. Yeah, that's what everyone said. Still a fun story. But then yeah, the 2, just so many quality of life improvements, so many amazing like giant set pieces, which I know that's kind of what Naughty Dog does is they have these big spectacle moments mm -hmm. that really kind of take your breath away. And two three four is great the lost legacy which is that uh the one where it's like kind of like a side side mission between two villains from yeah. different entries they just like team up to do treasure hunter stuff yeah it's like just super fun super actiony and so when the last of us came out i remember being like holy shit this is this is like the best game of all time. It is so incredible storytelling. It was so groundbreaking. It was so intense. Yeah. And I mean, this is going to be spoilers for not just two, but also we're going to sure. assume that you know this. I can't believe it was 2013. That we're is coming up on a 10 year anniversary of this game. Absolutely insane. And I remember the first moment when the daughter dies in that, like uh, at the like checkpoint. Shocking. There's, yeah. It. it it was such a gut punch. Yeah. And it still holds that impact for me. And so it was just so so nice to have it be taken, all of the things that I liked about Uncharted, taken mm -hmm. in this new direction that was, even though it was fantastical, it was a little more grounded. Like, they weren't always cracking wise and everything. It had that sort of serious drama film feeling to it. Yeah. Did you play it when it came out? I got Last of Us like a month before part two came out. Oh, man, that was probably two. fun just rolling it right in. Yeah, I actually yeah. did play it when it came out. Me and my buddies, this is when I was in college. Yeah. And so 
we just played in the house that we all shared and yeah. we would like make sure that we timed it up so that people were there <laughs> like at, at the every time like they were just watching when when i was playing and so it was basically yep. like a movie for them for the first yeah. time that they experienced and it. i guess we should say it is being adapted into a tv show that comes yes. out in january so That's i right, am yeah. really excited about that i'm nervous to be honest like so many of these, I feel like adaptations are hit or miss, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, this story is so good and it sounds like Druckmann and maybe some other people are involved. So yeah, I don't know. It did seem interesting. Yeah. Good cast. I am definitely going to watch it. Even if it's bad, I'll probably watch every episode. <laughs> yeah. Good cast too. But yeah. yeah, that first game. Yeah. The stuff with the daughter, you're like, oh, surely this will all work out. And then you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's first one's incredible. I had a lot of fun had a lot of fun playing it. And again, I don't like horror video games, but that story was just like hooking me in. It's wild. Yeah, Naughty Dog does some cool stuff. And the horror is not omnipresent. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like Resident Evil or something. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. It gives you enough of a breather here and there. <laughs> yeah. Where you can like exactly relax and, and take a step back. I'm outside. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And for that to be followed up by The Last of Us Part Two which I think is an incredible success. I think that they, yeah. to follow up one of the best games of all time with something that hits the same watermark and possibly exceeds it in a lot of ways. You yeah. know, not only the complexity of the story, but also just a lot of the gameplay mechanics feel incredible in this game. Yeah. Things that are a natural result of playing as Ellie as opposed to Joel Things that are, you know, just uh, like the improvements in AI as as the game got made. All sorts of things that just work to create this incredible cohesive experience that feels like a natural evolution of the first one. I feel the same way about, and I hate to keep comparing these two games because they're wildly different games, but I do think they're similar. I was just talking to someone about this last week of fatherhood is now a genre <laughs> between God of War and Last of Us and a few other games. I heard on a good podcast, Triple Click, I, th I think it was them. Or no, it was Weiger on Get Played. Sorry, listener. I think he was saying like, oh yeah, well, these writers were like toxic masculine guys who wrote this stuff. So all the stuff that they wanted to do was like kill, kill, kill. And now they're like struggling fathers. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're just writing what they know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is funny. And, you know, who knows if that's true or not. But my point was seeing Ellie grow up is... Shocking, you know, just yeah. like seeing Atreus grow up to is is kind of shocking is not the maybe the right word, but it's like, oh, this person's an adult now mm -hmm. and like they are making their own decisions and they they are an individual. Yeah, it's kind of chilling to like watch that development, like in a cool, badass way, I feel just like seeing her and Joel and like in what ways they've changed and which what ways they've stayed the same is yeah. It's real life, you know, <laughs> like it's like when you see someone you went to school with and you're like, holy shit, you know, I haven't checked in in four years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're the same guy, but you're a little different now, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm curious about how, how you felt, because I also love and I feel this way about music, too, sometimes when I feel like when bands release besides King Kissard and the Lizard Wizard, they're the only exception when bands release too many like albums we do an album every year. I'm like, guys, spread it out a little bit. But I also understand if someone was like, make a podcast once a month, I'd be like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but I like the huge gap between 
one and part two here. Like the seven year gap, I feel like realistically so much like has changed. And so I like, I don't know, I, I'm just kind of a sucker when it's like, oh, that thing that you liked 10 years ago, it's back versus like the thing you liked six months ago, they're going to show a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. First of all, I totally agree that King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is allowed to put out as many albums as they like. I will listen to all incredible. of them. Yep. Changes is like in my top three, like yeah, it, man. the most recent one. Yeah. They're still pumping them out. Incredible. So yeah, their KEXP performance they just dropped too was really good. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, they're my crushing God. It, it. So great. They really are. But I also agree that it helps the game to not feel the pressure of having that gas pedal on. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we get to have checked out and now check back in and see the ripple effects of this. It gives the writers a little more freedom yeah. to expand the world instead of having to be like, how can we keep escalating this exact situation? Absolutely. It definitely gives them more like, I think, creative freedom to do whatever they want. Also, playing this game, and I felt the same way about Death Stranding, and I'm definitely not the first person to make this observation, but playing these games in like the thick of COVID is so oh. fucking horrifying. Like, yeah. it's like, is this what reality is going to be like? But you feel safer, but not much safer. Like the inner conflict you feel playing the game is another thing too, especially like this game came out in 2020. You know, I'm sure they were making this, they started probably making this in like 2016 or something. Yeah. And probably, you know, making a game and then a global pandemic happens <laughs> that like is a little off, but not drastically off. So it's wild playing these games as you're literally locked in your home. Surreal in many ways. I remember they had to change or they didn't have to. They chose to change the release day was called Outbreak Day. Oh. <laughs> and they changed it to Last of Us 2 Day. <laughs> That's a smart move. Yeah. I remember being like, yeah, that checks out. Like, they yeah. literally had to push the release of this game because of COVID. Wow. Yeah. They really got slammed by it. I'm sure working on it was also insane being like, all right, everyone go home. <laughs> Just keep working on this pandemic oh, game. Oh, man. I am curious about... I mean, I think Naughty Dog is famous for, uh, what's the word, when people get like overworked in the video oh, game? Crunch. Crunch, yes. They've gotten called out a lot for crunch. I am curious if like, and I would have no idea. I don't know. I don't have any connections to people that work in video games, but they got dragged pretty hard for crunch. And I'm I wouldn't be surprised if there was crunch with this game. I am yeah. curious if like they have adjusted at all after being very publicly dragged for bad like work hours or maybe they haven't i don't know and you know that's yeah. also like a good uh, you know a thing to know that with these big budget triple a games a lot of the reason why they look so phenomenal is there are hundreds and hundreds of people working like 90 hour weeks and getting yeah. like very minimal sleep which sucks there was a game recently that they were able to say hey we're like one of the few triple a games that everyone you know worked like a 40 hour a week like that was kind of yeah. and like that's how they were able to brand it and people were like that's fucking awesome i don't know so and who who even knows if that's true but you know still cool i agree and it's it's the same kind of thing where it's i mean like so many entertainment jobs where totally 
so many people are doing it out of love yep. for the medium, and so they kind of get taken advantage of by people who are less in it for love of the medium and higher up and make those decisions. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's definitely frustrating. I, I did see that they were specifically called out in for this game, uh, and I hope that they are changing because it's not – the beauty of the games is not worth the exploitation of – Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Everyone should unionize. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Except cops. Fuck cops. Oh, keep uh, on. Yeah. That's that's like uh, a unique case. <laughs> <laughs> They're the king gizzard of unions. Yes. <laughs> the exception that proves the rule. Yes, exactly. Before we get too much into the actual context of the game, one last question I just wanted to get was, what is your play style in these games? Like, it, do you sneak around? Do you rush in guns blazing? It's problematic. <laughs> My friend just yelled at me about the way I play video games, and I don't think he's wrong. But then I told someone what he said, and he was like, you can play video games however you want. With story games like this, I know there's a right answer, which is explore the world, live in it, you know, see all of the cool things about it, take your time, have fun. Mm. I did this with Breath of the Wild, with God of War, and with both of these games, with a a statistic that will alarm you. I beat The Last of Us Part 2 in two days. Wow. I started it at 10 a.m. on a Friday and played from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. And then Saturday, I played it from noon and finished the game at 2 a.m. on Sunday. <laughs> so some have said I've ha- I have like an addictive personality and I say <laughs> it's pretty, you know, focused. Mm-hmm. It very much happens with a video game that I like. Same thing with God of War. Same thing with Horizon Zero Dawn. And so the way I play is I plow through the story and I beat the game. I play it on the easiest setting and I plow through because I just want to know the story, really. (laughs) Then I will go back and play it a second time. I'll do a new game plus and I will explore every aspect of it. I kind of just want to know what happens, but I don't want it spoiled to me. So I don't go on Twitter. I try to not see reviews at all. God of War comes out. I'm like, I'm playing it. Don't talk to me about it. I don't know. I don't want to know what you think about it. And then once I beat it, I'll text friends and be like, what everyone think, you know, then I'll read reviews and stuff. But the way I have played video games in the last decade has typically been you know, not not always. I I can't beat every video game in two days. But this was one. This was one of the few that I did where I was so hooked that I was like, I don't care at all about right now. I don't care about any of the side quests. I don't care about upgrading weapons unless I have to. I just want to know what happens at the end. So I will mainline the campaign, beat it. And then go back and occasionally, like with the 2018 God of War, I'll platinum it. Or with like a few other games, I will do every single side quest, collect every single thing until I 100% it. But, you know, when I told my friend this, he said, what do you think about God of War Ragnarok? I said, oh, I beat it. And he was like, it just fucking came out. (laughs) And I was like, I know I played it in like four days. And he went, I hate the way you play video games. (laughs) So part two, part two is an extreme. 
I've, I don't yeah. think I've ever beaten a game in two days. Especially this isn't a short game. No. Playing it on the easiest setting possible helps. And I also don't think I'm a good video game player, which made <laughs> Twitch stressful, but fun. Because I was like, I think people were like, what is he doing? Like, how does he not see <laughs> the flags right there? <laughs> to answer your question, plow through for the story, then go back and see the 90% of stuff that I missed because mm. I actively like wasn't looking at it. I totally get that. It's funny. I am kind of the opposite in that I crawl. I think mo- most people are, though. <laughs> I think most people are like, they don't have the squirrel from Ragnarok being like, come here, you asshole. Stop ignoring. <laughs> like people like literally NPCs swearing at you, like stop ignoring me. I know. I think you play it how most people play video games, which is like probably the way developers intended to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was becoming its own issue for me in that when I was doing so, I beat this game when it came out and then I was playing it again for this podcast and nice. while I was playing it again I was like oh I'm going too slow I'm not going to finish in time if I yeah. don't hurry up so I had to kind of go a little but it, it kind of worked because ordinarily I play very like stealthy I'm very like conserve as much ammo as possible yep. sneak through take your time yeah but with this I got to kind of just go in guns blazing yeah which is not my usual play style and it was fun and it worked and like i got a different fun experience out of the game by playing this different way so i think that it is kind of cool that even if there is one that's maybe more intended by the developer like they both clearly are working like they both it both creates this incredible experience that's another reason why i liked this game is i don't typically like stealth games i don't really have like the patience for them but this mm-hmm. game was so good that i was like i can't just run in guns blazing at every single level because i'm not good enough of a gamer to like survive <laughs> every single level like that and yeah. so this i think this game i can credit to like teaching me how to be a better stealth player and like how your patience can like be rewarded for that so definitely even though i i try as much as typically how i played this game was i'd run into a level try to shoot everyone and the zombies would kill me <laughs> then i'd go in a second time and then go wait a second and then would slide through so i would have to learn from my mistakes over and wow. over again but they got your ass yeah yeah stealth. i wish i had more patience for stealth and on a good day, when I'm well rested, I th- like to think I do. But yeah, sometimes I'm just like, let's go. I think it's another reason why <laughs> God of War is fun because I'm just like, yeah, here's my, yeah. here's my whips, baby. <laughs> yeah, Kratos isn't. He's not sneaking around. Here's the blades of chaos. <laughs> yeah, this game's a lot of fun. Yeah. So aside from the developers at Naughty Dog, there were actually 14 outsourced studios as well working on The Last of Us Part Two, wow. amassing a workforce of over 2,000 employees and 163 people granted special thanks in the credits. That's wild. So it was announced in 2016. Neil Druckmann was back as creative director with Anthony Newman and Kurt Marginow as co-game directors and Amelia Schatz and Richard Cambier as co-lead game designers. Mm-hmm. As far as the actual story, though... Neil Druckmann was doing a lot on that, as well as Haley Gross. She'd written two episodes of Westworld Season 1, and she was brought on to assist Neil in the writing process pretty early. The structure was in place for the story, Mm -hmm. but she helped flesh out the characters, make their voices believable, and she did become the narrative lead two years into development. Wow. Sort of what we had talked about, they were worried about having made something great and then risking going back and spoiling it. So the test was, 
to make sure that they had a story that could stand on its own with mm-hmm. meaning and weight, but also be additive so that there's an even bigger narrative yeah. that was also honest and respectful to the next moves the characters would make. And to that end, both stories, Last of Us 1 and Last of Us 2, are about love. Yeah. And what Neil had to say is that it's about the best and the worst that love has to offer. Wow. That's so fucking powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to highlight something you said too, having a Westworld writer come in and work on this, like there is no Westworld writers working on Banjo-Kazooie. Not <laughs> not to shame my favorite childhood games, but that, that was it. Like the emotion is like pulling me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not used to turning on my video game controller and then going like, I might cry tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Get the tissues ready, sweetie. <laughs> but yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, 14 production companies too is is wild. But it's cool. Yeah. You know, this yeah, the story just pulls you through this. Absolutely. And to that end, Kurt Marganow said that they always wanted to have Ellie and Abby both involved in the story here. He said, quote, the core premise of the entire story was to see both sides like this. To have a revenge tale told both from the perspective of someone who's on their way to doing it Mm -hmm. and as someone who's already done it. Mm -hmm. Can they redeem themselves? Seeing Abby have to find meaning again after she's already done the thing she wanted so badly. Yeah. That was such an interesting contrast for us to have these two different but similar story told. That to us was always the structure. Two halves of the same thing. And yeah, I love having these two characters that are such like mirror images these flip sides of the same coin and it's not necessarily in the easier way to do it where one of them is uh flexible and bending in the wind yeah they are both hard-headed oh totally determined yeah but they're still complete opposites despite their similar traits and that's what makes them such great rivals it works so well absolutely honestly i loved that i know some people like did not like going back and forth between each character. They just wanted to play as Ellie the whole time. But to me, it was fun because both stories were moving at the same time. And I I, I yeah. know TV is different than video games, obviously, but like, it's just, I, I like when I'm like watching the season of White Lotus, there's like f- six different plots and that you mm-hmm. just see each one moving forward a little bit. And it, it's a uh, fun seeing like, okay, we're going to end this scene on a cliffhanger and then, move this one up a little bit and then go back to this one and move this one up a little bit. Like, I know that's just like basic storytelling for a lot of people, but I liked that in this AAA game, we're going back and forth between these rivals and like seeing where their choices lead them. That was, that was fun to me. And jumping around in time and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. I I liked it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's cool. And it's interesting to me that I do like it here because Ordinarily, part of my issue with prequels as a general rule is that part and parcel lack of dramatic tension because you know where it winds up. Totally. And with this game, I thought it was really interesting that even though I knew where things would end up, like once you get to Ellie's sort of culmination, like the first culmination, and she kills them, Mm -hmm. she kills uh, Owen and Mel in the aquarium. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you go to the beginning of Abby's story. And instead of feeling like there's no dramatic tension, 
because we didn't see her reaction to that, yeah. the whole time we're waiting. And to have to go through the three days again, yeah. knowing that that's at the end of it, yeah. creates this pit in your stomach. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's so effective here. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to plow through, because I was like, just fucking get it over with. And they're like, do you want to do this? And I was like, no, I just want to just get the thing done with. It totally, totally works here. Also, I know I'm sounding like a hardcore gamer. I will say the very first, the first five minutes, I did lose the snowball fight. So just <laughs> to set everyone's like expectations, uh, this is this is what we're working with. Hey, man, those kids are feisty. They are. I was like, bitch, slow down. Hold on. <laughs> the themes were inspired by Druckmann's own youth in the West Bank. Wow. He talked about the Ramallah lynching from 2000, hmm. where after two weeks in which over 100 Palestinians, nearly a dozen of them minors, had been killed, two Israeli army reservists mm-hmm. accidentally drove the wrong way and got taken into custody in that town. Oh, my God. And the people who were in mourning thought that they were undercover agents and broke in to kill them extremely brutally, according to reports. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Neil said that he watched the footage of cheering crowds and he had started to like plan violent revenge of his own Mm -hmm. before feeling gross and guilty about them. Mm -hmm. And he said that he wanted the player to feel both that same thirst for revenge Mm -hmm. and then reckoning with the way it made you feel. Yeah. And I think that this game really creates an incredible environment for it because Mm -hmm. while ordinarily these stories of revenge are constrained by someone being like, okay, that's it. I'm going to work outside the law now to do this. This is a world where those societal structures just don't exist. Mm -hmm. There is no like law to get in the way. Yeah. There's no cops. Right. Yeah. It's just a really fertile soil for, for exploring that idea. I think that they absolutely killed it. Yeah, me too. You're right. I didn't really think about it that way. That is like, they are in an apocalypse, so like there are no rules. Right. <laughs> Having these extremely complex, modern, like back and forth, I don't know, dynamics, I guess. I don't know a better word for it. With the base of there's also no rules is, is so fascinating. Definitely. This also leads me to something that I found interesting. Uh, I've seen people complain about the dogs and say, oh, They say it's asking you to make a choice about if you kill them or not, Mm -hmm. but that the game actually forces you to. And so that sort of invalidates its message of, you know, isn't it crazy that violence is what is beget by this? Yeah. And first of all, I'm not positive that that's the case in the first place, because Mm -hmm. I am pretty sure that I saw dogs just hang out by their dead owner, depending on what order you got them in. Yeah. But then even if that is true Mm -hmm. for the character... Mm -hmm. It's not true in the sense that you could simply put the game down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're invested in it in Ellie's perspective. Yeah. And so you're willing to do something distasteful to get revenge for the character you liked. Yes. And it's also funny to me just that like... At that point, you're already mowing down lots of humans, too. Yeah. So it's funny that, like, that's where the buck stops for a lot of people. Like, yeah, the graphics in this game, you look down, people's faces are craters. Yes, they're absolutely annihilated. Yeah. So I'm curious what you think about this idea of just people being like the spirit of its theme exploration is sort of invalidated by it forcing you to make these violent decisions. I know what you're talking about. I did see complaints about that i mean we there's a lot of complaints about the game um some of them just straight up homophobic and sexist but right others like 
I'm forced to do things against my will and I don't feel <laughs> like the the consent of this, which is obviously like the intent, is yeah. like not wanting to do something right. like this. Oh, it but, made you feel something. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think you could just circle back to like, I think part of why I didn't, it didn't like upset me was like just what we just said of like, there are no rules in this. And, and I think it com- comes back to also like, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, these are like morally, for the most part, like Ellie and Joel are like morally sound people. They like, Joel basically kept the like a apocalypse going to save Ellie. Is <laughs> like, sorry to spoil the first one. So like, that's how much he cares about this person. And like, yeah. Obviously, she cares a lot about him, too. And so I'm, ba- I'm basically saying, like, hey, if you're a good person, you can do bad things. But <laughs> there's there's no rules and there's so much just like survival here. And you see these characters make a thousand good decisions and save a thousand people that I don't know what some of the, the decisions or like the extremely <laughs> gruesome ways they kill these zombies. I don't know. It doesn't really bother me because it's just like I guess if it was just like a if we were in like today's time and she was doing things like this I'd be like Ellie what the fuck are you doing man like there's people around like this is not how you're supposed to act but I don't know that stuff it didn't really bother me because like I like these characters and so I think I forgave things that maybe I normally wouldn't forgive in other games because I felt empathy I guess toward them mm-hmm. and so yeah with stuff and like I'm a vegan like I am extremely pro animal rights and like I don't even want to ride a horse <laughs> which is actually you know hard for this game but it's a fucking video game Kevin you're not actually on the horse like you just said <laughs> but people complaining about this I'm like dude it's to me, I was like, it's a video game, man. Like, yeah. relax. <laughs> I absolutely agree. I will also say that I think that part of what you're saying about what it did in terms of, oh, well, they're allowed to do these things because I like them. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, part of what they're trying to accomplish here. Because, you know, it's so funny and, and like, fucked up that at the beginning, mm-hmm. they make you play again as, like, sad old man Joel. Yeah. He's promising to teach Ellie to play guitar. He's filled with regret. He can't remember a joke at the beginning. And then when you're playing from the perspective of the fireflies slash wolves, he's this big, bad, mythical villain. Yeah. And you see sort of how the perspective is flavored by your environment and whose perspective you are investing. Absolutely. So I think that it absolutely totally works for me. And here's the thing. It's like, you know, we've spent a lot of this discussion talking about how emotionally captivating the storytelling is in this game and how truly moving it is in a way that like very few pieces of media have been. And then I said like two minutes ago, it's just a video game, relax. Here's the thing, (laughs) both of those things can be true. It doesn't always have to be like, oh, so if it's a video game, relax, well then the story's not good. It's like, no, you can feel and on the verge of tears and then also minutes later be like it's a game like who cares <laughs> yeah it is emotionally honest even yes. if it, you understand that it's just virtual stuff yeah i will say i'll do a little uh little reveal here is that uh i one time was playing i had been playing a lot of monster hunter world nice. when that game came out yep and one day i just like smoked i guess too much weed for that game <laughs> and i was like man these poor monsters are just trying to walk around, live their <laughs> They're lives. They're just doing their thing, man. <laughs> like, 
I literally put that game down and never picked it up again. <laughs> <laughs> like this, I smoked too much and ruined this game for myself. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks, man. Yeah. So look, you can just put down the game if you don't consent to it. If if the killing the dogs in this game made me feel bad enough, then I would put the game down. Yeah. Clearly. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I think that it's accomplishing something for the game. There's so many games too where it's like various animals are like wolves in God of War are killing you and it's or in Assassin's Creed Valhalla which I just finished like same thing if you don't attack the wolf it will kill you right right you know killer killer be killed I guess right I will also just park the discussion by saying it's 25 years after the outbreak yeah when we join Last of Us 2 Ellie is still just 19 which it can be kind of hard to remember. Like there, there are so many tough decisions she's had to make forced maturation in many aspects of her life. But then you do get this immaturity shining through lately through other aspects of her personality. Yeah. And I think that feeling that like youthful anger helps to understand the drive of the story. You know, I'll talk about it at the end, but there is a moment where I'm like, for me personally, I understand this is not the story that they were trying to tell, mm-hmm. but it would have been more satisfying from a storytelling perspective if it ended the here. doesn't even need to have other stuff happen. If it just ended at this point, I would have maybe liked that more. Can I guess it? Was it the rocket ship imagination? <laughs> <laughs> No, that would have been good, but it's it's a uh, well, I'll just I'll save it since you didn't get it right. But I I understand that because it is that youthful rage yeah. driving her. Yeah. That's why she feels no choice but to keep going and to always have to make these sacrifices, <laughs> this duty that she feels to the memory of Joel. Yeah. Feels like a young man's game. <laughs> totally. And she's yeah, she's fueled by being pissed off and also like wanting people to like, you know, be at her level. There's just a lot of like, come on, let's fucking go. Like, what are you, what are you waiting around for? And you know, when you've seen like loved ones and like a million people die and you're a survivor and I'm, you know, her philosophy is, it seems like if they catch us sleeping, we're done. So like, if we're not on our toes, we need to, you know, we need to constantly be moving. Otherwise, we will die. And then she is surrounded, not surrounded, but there are other characters like her love interest and stuff, for example, that's like, slow down. Like, yeah, we I understand why you feel this way, but we can't live exclusively like this because we're basically surviving to have a horrible life. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'll burn out if you stay at that. Yep. At that base. Yep. And the gameplay needs to put you in her shoes mm-hmm. so that the emotional story beats work, mm-hmm. not just feel the pressure of survival in this world, but also how she really can't breathe after Joel is ripped from her. Yeah. I think that it really does. You know, you constantly feel the pressure of people around you. She's more nimble than Joel, but she's mm-hmm. still capable, even if she's not quite as strong. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that they do a great job of making it so that the Playing the game is also part of the story. You feel the storytelling happening around you. And also, I don't always notice, you know, combat gear. And I don't I don't think I clock gameplay as much as most people do. I probably clock it when I don't like it more more so. <laughs> sure. It's like CGI. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. You don't notice it until it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I like this a lot. Like, it, it's, it's a fun game to play. You know, it definitely has, like, its own 
mechanics that I had to get used to, but it is like genuinely a fun game to play too, even if it a lot of it is like stealthy zombie killing or you, you know, want to just jump out and like throw a grenade and be like, all right, uh, like a grenade full of nails and be like, all right, everyone, let's go. (laughs) It's also a fun game to play in addition to being extremely like fascinating from like a much bigger philosophical point. Definitely. Also, speaking of the mechanics, I did mean to mention this earlier, but when I was playing, so you mentioned that you try and usually just go through as quick as possible on the easiest level, Mm -hmm. especially on games like this where there are trophies locked behind difficulties yes i'll usually try and start on the highest difficulty and just try and get used to playing at that level so that i can do that the first time and then go do like cleanup on the easy mode basically cool and in the first game this might still be the case in two as well because i didn't beat it on the hardest mode Uh but in the first game you don't get the like listen mechanic in, in the hard mode yeah and so when I finally watched somebody else playing it, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> you can wow, just that see is people ex- in silhouette. Yeah, absolutely. That is way harder. <laughs> That's wild. Also, I want to shout out the upgrading your weapons in this is so satisfying. Like the mm-hmm. sounds of like cleaning your gun and adding new parts to it, and, and just the the and you de- literally see the new parts. Yes. Too. It is so, they make that so much cooler than it needs to be or like most other games do. I feel like 90, and I could be wrong, but I I think more than a a majority of games, their upgrade is like you click the button and then boom. It's like you have it, you move on. There's no like appreciating the details of it. I think of like, you know, a mechanic that's very proud of their work showing you like every little screw and something or like a a carpenter or something like, look at this, look at this. Yeah. I felt the same way. Like whenever I upgraded the weapon, it was just the, the angles, the lighting, the sound and the cleaning it, cleaning it and stuff was just, I think there's a thing that's very attractive about like seeing an expert, you know, a sloppy boys (laughs) talked about it too, but it's a thing that I, I think people like is like oh wow look at this person is like really knows their shit sure that's what michael mann movies are all about a hundred percent that and that's how i feel like when i'm like oh time to up go to the workbench and then clean up my little toys like it's it's so fun yes i totally agree i also will say that i appreciate that it's just like gears to upgrade because in so many games, they overcomplicate the crafting system and they mm. make it impossible to do upgrades. Oh, I need one more red jelly bean. In Assassin's order to fill Creed this. is like <laughs> so damn hard. I'm like, why? What? So I need to kill this cow, but this wolf uh, to get uh, this arrow? Like the the various ingredients you need to upgrade is way more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, this is great. You just get some gears. You can use them on any weapon. It's perfect. Same thing with the pills in order to do your like body upgrades, yep, which also, I like that. also makes me laugh. Yeah, that's <laughs> fun. Inhale a bunch of pills. Yeah, just some rogue <laughs> pills. And now I feel better. <laughs> I've learned a new ability. <laughs> there is a part in Valhalla where you have like three chalices and it's like pick one and you don't know what any of them do. And I'm always just waiting for the one that just kills me. <laughs> 
Like, that was poison. You shouldn't just drink random cups. And you'd sit there and you'd say, well, I yeah, earned I it. I deserved that. Yeah, I earned it. Yep, that was fair. I walked over and drank that cup. <laughs> so Ellie is played by Ashley Johnson, who is obviously amazing. Phenomenal. Rejoined by Troy Baker as Joel, yep. while Laura Bailey and Shannon Woodward join the cast as Abby and Dina are two other leads here. Yeah. And they always had a focus on making sure every character you see is dimensional. I think that you talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh-huh. there aren't really heroes and villains. Everybody mm-hmm. is gray, depending on what perspective you're involved in at the time. They do such a great job of even like the scar dogs, like with Alice and Bear, and you see yeah. them like having a good time, like playing fetch and stuff. Yeah. And then, but you also see them being like snapping at, at the kids and everything as soon as they come in. So yeah. you really get this idea that everybody is, has their own interests and desires and fears in a way that creates that lived-in world. It's just spectacular. You feel the layers of, like, everyone wanting to survive, but also, like, people wanting to love and feel love and, like, affection. Mm-hmm. And so you you see all these different parts of, like, just being a human being with each of those four characters. That's why I like when they're like, all right, now you're playing as this character. Now you're playing as that character. Now you're talking to that one. I'm like, great. They are, they're all well-written, so... <laughs> I'm interested in what that person is doing now. Yes, absolutely. And that authenticity was a goal in every facet, not just the characters. From the animations using mocap to the effects in the game, with the yeah. goal of full immersion and never never having a moment that doesn't feel real, both from a character and visual standpoint. You know, you see mm-hmm. it in the reddening of skin from emotion, a bulging forehead vein, the way yeah. tears flow, all improvements developed for this game. Yeah, and like the remasters too have been like, I see a lot of split screens of before and after, and it's wild how human-like video games are becoming. Scary. I wonder if they'll make a VR version of this. Like, could you imagine that? It doesn't feel like they're far from it. (laughs) Yeah, playing this game at like one in the morning, knowing I have like probably an hour left, but all the lights are off, and it's (laughs) like, uh, I'm in a hospital basement. I'm like, I can't can't do this emotionally. (laughs) They also literally walked Ellie's path in Seattle, which was cool. They looked for distinct awnings and signs and whatnot. And they talked about how the variety of growable fruit, huntable wildlife, it's a more lush environment than in the first one. And that helps to sort of explain why there are more factions fighting over these resources. Yeah. The army, Fedra, Mm -hmm. they're defeated by the Washington Liberation Front, who's also at war with the Seraphites. Yeah. Neil said, in The Last of Us, any group that has survived this long has got to be dangerous. Yeah, they're doing something right. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Religious zealots, militant fascism, the infected. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, for Ellie, he said, just living is no longer enough. Yeah. And, and, Mm -hmm. And so you have to go up against that world. As far as the tech goes, I won't pretend to be well-versed in this, but it's very impressive. And according to the research, at least, it was a lot of cutting-edge stuff. I had literally wrote the note, wow, it feels good to chuck a bottle through the windows. Yeah. And then later I read about how they were like, oh, yeah, that glass shattering was a huge win for us because of how difficult it was to implement and the variety of use. And I was like, the fact that someone who doesn't always notice these things... That I was like, wow, it, I don't, I'm not just noticing it, but I'm noticing how good it feels. Yeah. Really speaks to the game's quality. Yeah. There's just so many small things like that that you then have a new appreciation for. 
the the glass bottle thing's really cool. I remember having like I'm like, why do I have eight bottles in my backpack? Like this is but then you throw one and you're like, oh okay, I get it. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they did anticipate it being more divisive than the first game in an exciting way. I think it was. There was a lot of conversation around the storytelling and violence, which I mm-hmm. am I agree. Even the people who didn't like the violent stuff, I'm like, at least we can get interesting conversations out of this. But yeah. it also exposed a lot of transphobic dumbasses yeah. who were wrong twice over. <laughs> thanks, yes. Thanks to several people incorrectly assuming Abby was the trans character reported in the lead up yep. because of vague leaks and her bulk. Yeah. And so you just really saw a lot of people showing their asses on this one. Absolutely. And honestly, gamers, hardcore gamers are very good at that. Yeah, absolutely. And it really sucks. And I feel horrible for... Those voice actors, I'm sure, received a lot of horrifying messages and death threats from shitty fucking loser gamers. Mm -hmm. Those people should not have any sort of public social media platform at all. They should just keep all their shitty ass thoughts to themselves. Yeah, it was wild seeing as I was playing it, just knowing the world we lived in was just like, okay, I know there's some dipshit, you know, transphobic, (laughs) homophobic, sexist, racist losers who are probably having a lot to say right now. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. The game was like, it was another reason why I loved it was because it was like all of those things. And it's like, how many AAA games do that shit? Like, they're all made by these white guys that are just like, I'm not, you know, oh, no, 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 I'm not, you know, we're not going to touch that stuff. It's like, fuck you. Like, this game is... So cool and has all of that stuff, which is what the real world is. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Sucks to see those people like voicing their horrible opinions. But another reason why I love the game was like that it touched on all of those things, which a lot of triple play games don't. Yeah. And I like know people in my personal life who were like, wow, it's cool to have some representation in this game. And so that is worth more than than anyone being like. Oh, yep. I'm mad that Joel isn't the lead character. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> like, like, yeah, he's there. He I'm mad. Meets his natural conclusion. It yeah. feels right for the character and the game. Yeah. And and you also get all this other great stuff. People get to feel included. Huge win. Huge win. I agree. I, I think that it was um, a great, great decision to to include the, the, not not just the characters, but like even the conversations I thought that they handled themselves pretty well in them. So Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you. Please tell the people where they can check out your work. I know there's a big project that you've been working on that you want to tell everyone about. Now's the time, baby. Awesome. I have been working for on and off for like eight months now on this video project that is a very long review of a fake podcast I made with my friends. My friend Harry, who showed me God of War, and my friend Sarah, who Harry introduced me to earlier this year. They both work in the podcast world as well, and I am a, a fan of this this YouTuber who reviews video games named Tim Rogers. He does these eight to ten hours sometimes reviews of a video game. Kind of the joke is not joke, but like it's wild how long they are. Right. I've done reviews of fake podcasts before, like on Twitch. I've done it on Tawny and Andrew, uh, Tawny Newsome and Andrew T's suboptimal bundle content, where I've made trailers of fake podcasts and like seriously reviewed them. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and I always wanted to do it, but with like a real podcast. Not sorry, not a real podcast, with like 
create a quote unquote podcast for the sake of reviewing it. Right. So kind of combining those ideas of like the a longer, more thorough review and then actually creating a quote unquote show for the sake of the review. So I have been writing a very long script that is a podcast hosted by Harry and Sarah about a very short-lived TV show. And they it's kind of the trials and tribulations, the the ups and downs of their experience hosting a podcast. With my experience in podcasting, I think I was able to write at times very accurate and real problems that podcasters go through and then also take some experiences and then just completely blow them up and make them (laughs) extremely unrealistic in a way that I, I found very entertaining and fun. So basically, if you're confused, which people have been as I've described this, that show is told through the lens of me reviewing it at this desk that I'm sitting at right now. So the goal is to release this part one of this two-part series, Monday, December 19th. I just finished filming everything this morning, and I've been editing the footage that I filmed earlier already. So wow. hot off the presses. Yes, it is. So I'm, I'm hoping to have everything edited by Monday the 19th, which would be when I release it. So part one will be available on YouTube for everybody. It'll be on the the Flagrant Ones Patreon. Also, I'll be posting it on my Twitter, Kevin J. Bartelt, and my Instagram, Kevin J. Bartelt, so you can find it there. Part two is going to be on the, the Flagrant Ones Patreon page. So I have never spent so much time on a single project before, which I think is why I wanted to do it as well. You know, I make a lot of ephemeral content that's like we make it up as we go and then we hit print and then the next day we do it again. And so I really wanted to challenge myself and spend truly months and months on a single project. And it's been very cathartic. Unwisely so, I was up till 4.30 in the morning last night, knowing I had to get up at (laughs) 7, editing it because I was just having so much fun working on it. And it's been kind of this adrenaline rush. And so I'd really, really, I'd be really grateful if, if listeners, if you checked it out, I've spent a lot of time on it. Yep. So I'll be posting it on Twitter and Instagram and, and you can check it out there. Hopefully Monday, December 19th. I haven't said the name yet, but I, I guess I will spoil it. It's called Where the Potty At. <laughs> P-O-D-D-Y. So keep an eye out for that. Hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, I really hope it does. Monday, December 19th. I cannot wait. That sounds absolutely incredible. And this is, I think, part of what is so exciting about the Flagrant Ones Patreon is that you guys get to do this kind of more uh, exploratory stuff where, you know, this is... This scripted stuff, like you said, is not necessarily right in Mm -hmm. the wheelhouse of what the Flagrant family's bread and butter had been for a long time. For sure. So really cool to to see this expansion in a in a really interesting way. I look forward to checking it out. Well, full disclosure, I did not ask the guys if I could do this. Uh, <laughs> I kind of just told them one day that it was happening because I knew they would be more confused <laughs> if anything, but hopefully they enjoy it because I kind of just announced it one day. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what I love about it, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
I also want to encourage people to just check out the Flagrant Family of Podcasts in general. Kevin is very funny on them, as well Thank as you. all of the other hosts are always great as well. So so ch- definitely check those out. As far as my plugs, you're already a patron, so you are probably doing everything. And uh, I'll just, yeah, just use my plug time to go say uh, I'm also really looking forward to this uh, to this project. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show again. Absolutely. And thank you for giving so much of your time to talk about this. Hey, this game rocks. It was not hard at all to do. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.